0: In today's episode, my guest and I have a deep and raw conversation about the belief that best practices in recovery include maintaining a healthy fear of relapse, like hashtag never forget that you used to overdrink and not be able to control yourself, because we think that fear will protect us from our own weakness. We do a deep dive into both the science as well as the experiences of two women who have done the work to overcome alcohol use disorder and what it feels like to give ourselves permission to drop the story of past addictions and let go of the fear of future relapse and just step into a whole new dimension of self-love and joy and freedom from the heavy emotional baggage that creates the desire to escape and fuels the temptation to use substances or anything else to change how you feel. So go for a walk or take a drive and just allow this conversation to expand your ideas about what it means to really recover. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence based, holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. So, before I get started today, just a bit of housekeeping. You'll notice that my cover art has changed. You're now seeing It's Not About the Alcohol on my picture, and you still are finding me under Recover with Colleen. On November 13th, I am relaunching this podcast with a new name, It's Not About the Alcohol. And if you didn't notice, there is an episode I released midweek last week that I titled Don't Miss Your Free Gifts and Prizes. For my pod squad. And if you are one of my people, you're a regular listener to this show, or you've just found me and you're like, yeah, I'm in. I need your help. Relaunching under a new name is my efforts to separate myself from the rest of the sobriety community. This is a grassroots movement to change the narrative on how we think about addiction and specifically over drinking in our culture. We are doing it wrong as a society, blaming people for getting addicted to an addictive substance. When in truth, addiction is not a disease. It's a normal and predictable adaptation to a toxic culture Our nervous systems simply weren't built to thrive in this environment. So of course, we're turning to alcohol and pills and junk food and digital distractions, anything we can get our hands on to make us feel better for a few minutes, which is why trying to change the way you drink without addressing the stress that's creating the need for relief is just going to be a game of whack-a-mole approaching problematic behaviors like overdrinking from the level of the nervous system and low dopamine and the emotional disconnect that is the result of having too much on our plate and beating ourselves up for constantly falling short of unrealistic expectations and the emotional disconnect that happens when we are so focused on checking all the boxes and worrying about what other people think and what other people want and need from us, that we completely abandon ourselves. That's the source of our stress that is creating the desire to escape. This podcast is my passion project to teach people why pursuing happiness and mental health instead of sobriety is the cure to alcohol use disorder, and anything else, because it's not about the alcohol. And so if you appreciate this podcast and you think more people should be listening to it, I've got a strategy for that. When you're done with this episode, go back and listen to don't miss your free gifts and prizes for my pod squad and then get on my pod squad. All it means is that I'm gonna text you on Monday, November 13th and remind you to download the episodes and leave me a review. If we can get mass engagement on day one with my new title, we can push me into the top 100 charts. And that's a game changer in terms of the algorithm presenting this show to other people who are looking for alternatives to the narrative that you're an addict and that you have to live in fear of relapse for the rest of your life. Because as you're going to find out in this episode, the exact opposite is true. If you've ever dipped your toes into the sobriety community, you've been told that your addiction is doing push-ups in the parking lot. And so you're encouraged to have a healthy fear, a healthy respect for this inert substance that lives in a bottle that we call alcohol. And so we all come to believe that this healthy fear keeps us safe from future screw-ups. But the deal is fear elicits a stress response. And when your nervous system perceives a threat of any kind, You feel anxious and you start getting distracted by intrusive thoughts and your brain starts predicting worst case scenarios. That's the biological definition of stress. You get into a very negative mindset, you have a myopic focus and you live with this sense of urgency that there's some sort of problem to be solved. And the idea of fighting this problem forever feels overwhelming. You know, it's like trying not to cough. You can do it for a while, but you know that at some point a spasm could override your willpower and that just feels hopeless. Like you can't do this forever. And because we're experiencing all this mental anguish over alcohol, we assume that this means there indeed is a problem. It must be true. We really are alcoholic. But this temptation to drink under these circumstances is perfectly normal. I mean, it's misinformed because alcohol doesn't actually relieve stress, but it's perfectly normal to want to relieve your stress. But what the shift is, what this podcast is about, is to show you that the stress is coming from fear. The stress is coming from this feeling that you can't trust yourself, that you are not safe inside your own body. And that threat that you're feeling to your sense of safety and security that's keeping you on guard is actually coming from the scary story you're telling yourself that alcohol has the power to bypass your self-control. You know, as long as you believe that that's true, the fear won't go away. It can't because it's there to protect you. My guest today is Allison Marie Conway. She's a recovery coach and a writer who's exploring what it means to actually recover from alcohol use disorder. And we're asking the question that if you don't keep a healthy fear, then what's the alternative? Because all the sober gurus tell us that too much confidence in our own ability to heal and grow and change Confidence is actually a fast pass to living in a van down by the river, drinking mouthwash out of a paper bag. What might change if you stopped believing that you need to be protected from yourself? So Allison and I are going to spend an hour discussing the alternative to nurturing that healthy fear of relapse and how both the science and our experiences are showing us that having overcome an addiction is actually what is making us more resilient. We are more resilient and powerful and able to control ourselves because of what we've gone through, not less. You know, a story is how we make sense of the world. And the cultural narratives that we've all inherited about addiction and sobriety can actually really hold you back. What if everything you're going through with alcohol is just a symptom of living in a shitty self-defeating story? And what if changing your story from everything that's gone wrong to everything that is right and that could continue to grow and be more right is exactly how you free yourself because it's just not about the alcohol. So get into the show notes and join my pod squad if you haven't yet and enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being here today, Allison. I'm so excited to talk more about you. We've been communicating on Instagram about our evolving beliefs about recovery and what has happened in the past and what this means about the future. And I'm so excited to introduce you to my audience. Can you just tell us a little bit who you are, what you do, maybe how you came to be um, in this space with me? Sure.
1: I would love to. And let me just say, I'm also so happy to be here with you, Colleen. My name is Allison Marie Conway. I am a writer and a recovery coach. Mostly I work to help women quit drinking. How did I get here? How did I get here? <laughs> I ask myself this. It is very far from where I thought I would be. I never thought, first of all, that I would get sober. Wish I did January first, twenty twenty-two, and when I did so, it was hard for me to find through my doctor, through therapists, through anyone who was willing to talk about alcohol addiction and getting free from it. It was hard to understand what to do. To be honest, mostly it seemed like people would allude to going to AA. And if they caveat with, you don't have to do AA, but then what else is there? There really was, there was no direction there. So it was really me piecing together, honestly, based on people who went before me and shared their story on Instagram. So I was getting sober through reading books, listening to podcasts and taking a lot of baths and doing a lot of meditation. And so once I really got deeper and deeper into recovery and realized what a life-changing and beautiful experience it's been. I wanted to help other people get free as well. And so I got my certification as a, a professional coach and a focus on addiction recovery. And I think that there is a natural part of me that is interested in story, my own and hearing other people's. And so the thing I love most about coaching is that it is not therapy and it's not a 12 step program. It's simply saying, let's meet as two human beings, trying to understand ourselves, not necessarily better ourselves, but get closer to who we are as the truest version of ourselves. And I know that you know this because you're also a wonderful coach. So I guess that's how I found myself here.
0: You know, I also started drinking at 18, really went mm-hmm. to college and majored, minored I minored in partying. But <laughs> When I look back over my life, I also personally had four babies and raised children. Mm-hmm. And so, even though I was drinking and alcohol was an active part of my life, except for pregnancies and all that, I wouldn't say I was problematic drinking until really towards the end, where I can now look back and see when I became addicted. You know, it's a spectrum, it's a slippery slope, but I can look back. Would you say that? that alcohol for you was always problematic and you kind of knew it and you were just wheels on fire? Or was it a slippery slope?
1: This is a very good question. I was such a good girl. I was raised in a very religious home and I always wanted to be good and do the right thing. And I never had a sip of alcohol until I was 21. But before I could drink, I actually became a mother. So I became a single mom at the age of 18, which is very young. And it's too young to really understand how that affected me, which has been, besides sobriety, the greatest gift of my life. So I tread lightly with this story for that reason. But I can see now, again, having lived through this and really dug into some tough shit in therapy and trauma healing, as soon as I found alcohol, it was a way, I don't like the word escape, but it probably was in a lot of ways, a, a way to relieve that pressure that I was under to sort of, in my mind, make up for having done this shameful, terrible, bad thing, but also wanting to be a very good mother. And so not quite understanding myself or how to be in the world without this incredible anxiety about fixing this thing I couldn't fix or making better what I couldn't make better. If that makes any sense at all, I don't know. When I started drinking, from from right off the bat, I can remember incidents where it was drink to, what would you say, disappear to disappear for a little while. It was never ever when I had my son with me. I had shared custody, but for sure, it was probably never "quote unquote" normal, if that's mm-hmm.
0: a term. Well. It sounds, correct me, where it's different, but as all of a sudden you took on, your primary focus every day was no longer yourself, your own growth. It was keeping this child alive. That gift was wrapped in a show of shame where you had done something bad. And so when you didn't have the child where... As a single mom, you're completely on, responsible for this new, loving, beautiful thing that's your heart living outside your body, that then you perceived you were no longer on. And so your identity was wrapped into doing all the thing, and then you needed a break from the thing. And then that's when the disconnect with yourself happened, because then without the beautiful package that is the child, now you're just left with the shame. And the shame's gone for the, and you have to sit with that shame and there is no beauty attached to it. And of course, then maybe you wanted to escape numb, take a break from, I think as a mom, that was me, like the me time. This is me time. And my me time was me drinking until I couldn't feel because I didn't know how to be by myself. I didn't know how to be in my body yes
1: yes and it's interesting that you say that because i think even for sure there was shame but i didn't i didn't know enough to know that was there but i think looking back too, there was just what is my identity right like my now i am a mother at 18 19 years old which throws a wrench into your identity in yourself but also in the world because the peer my peers and my friends are partying at college and picking majors and deciding what they want to do with their lives and so you kind of there's an other there's an othering there's a an outsider kind of narrative that plays in your head but also to go from when I was growing up I wanted to please my parents I wanted to please my teachers I wanted to get the good grades so my identity was wrapped around how do other people see me and then boom I have this little baby and it's like how do I please this baby how do I take care of this baby so there was no time where it was what does Allison want to do with Allison's life? And I think it's a different story than a lot of other women's stories. However, and just what you said, it comes back to this idea of, especially for women, I believe, when do you get the time to create your own identity? Whether you follow the rules or get pregnant, quote unquote, when you're supposed to, or married when you're supposed to. Yeah. When is it ever about who we really are, how we really want to operate in the world, how we really want to express ourselves, these kinds of things?
0: Well, we're never really told that we're supposed to we are raised to please and to say the things that make people happy and to do the things that make people happy. So to look back at the 21-year-old version of you or the 18-year-old version of you and fault her for not knowing That when she didn't have the child, she needed to focus on herself. Even the idea of, well, we don't have the time. Well, personally, I would have said the same thing, but when I look back, I sure as hell spent a lot of time drinking and watching Netflix (laughs) and not doing anything. But I don't fault myself because I didn't know I was supposed to. I thought I was doing everything right. And now this is the time where I get to do, nobody needs anything from me. So I guess I'll drink a whole bottle of wine because I had no idea. I needed something from myself. Yes. And I can't fault that version of me because she didn't know. I thought I had checked all the boxes for the day. What do you want from me? Yes, absolutely.
1: And that continued, right? I mean, I began drinking at 21, managing, being this person, this daughter, this mother, this student, and then I graduated and I got a job based on, you know, Are the hours right for having a kid that I have to get from school? Do I have health care? These kinds of things. The responsible thing, right? And people look at me and and I looked at myself in certain ways that said, God damn, like you've got this hard thing that you're doing. You're managing it. You're successful. You're a good employee, a good mom. And I think that there just... The years go by, right? And I, I lost my mother to breast cancer when she was only 53 years old. I was three months from my wedding day. So again, just more trauma that was dealt with by not processing it. I didn't have a place to go inside of me that was safe enough to say, mm-hmm. this is scary. And I think A lot of my identity back then was also wrapped around, I can handle anything. I'm a leader. I got this. I'm fine. And that was reflected back to me as strength. But I think now in hindsight, seeing how much I really numbed and I really didn't have the emotional ability to let the truth be the truth inside of me, to be vulnerable to be with myself. So it just was, drinking was the thing I did. It was the answer to just about everything. But it seems to me sobriety is the next thing. Like it's what's happening now. And people are talking about it and they're talking about their addictions and they're writing books. And it's at least discussed in a new way. And for me, Annie Grace was the catalyst for my change. For someone out there saying, this isn't your fault. This is what happens when you drink. Yeah. And that the science can help you understand that you don't have to hide that this is what's happening to you. This was always
0: going to be what was going to happen to you, if that makes sense. Yeah. It is. I look now... I have so divorced myself from the idea that there are normal drinkers and there are alcoholics Mm -hmm. because anybody can drink themselves in, I consider the analogy like painting yourself into a corner. The more you drink, the harder it is to not drink and the worse you feel. And your brain is learning, like you said, through the process of going through grief and happiness and celebrating the wins and also mourning the losses. Like each time you, you used alcohol to get through that, the brain learned the shortcut yes. to feeling better quickly. Yes. Addiction is a learning process. And so it's the unlearning of that we now call recovery. I really don't think it's necessarily sobriety. I think sobriety is a tool for self-care, much like sleep. Hmm. Like it's like you, you're only as good as last night's sleep and so I don't even like this big picture of I'm getting sober. I would say I'm learning to live from the inside out. I'm learning to read my own body language. I'm learning to feel my feelings and stay present in the moment. I'm learning how to be authentic. Alcohol, not drinking alcohol is a very valuable tool for that. Yes. But really it's not about the alcohol. The, what I see is, for example, When you look at a plant that's dying, it's got bad leaves and it's not flourishing, we never look at that plant and say, oh, that's just a dumb, lazy, bad (laughs) plant, and it's an addict. (laughs) Clearly, that, that plant was up too late last night drinking. It's a bad plant. We know it's the environment. It's the soil. It's the air. It's the light. It's the community, whatever, and yet with people- and that's why we hide our behaviors, because if you're not drinking normally, then something is wrong with you. And the best of us, us perfectionists, we're going to hide that. And I think to me, recovery, if you focus on the sobriety and you focus on the not drinking behavior, you're missing the big picture of the reason the behavior exists in the first mm-hmm. place. Drinking served a purpose. And for me, I try to have gratitude for even my worst drinking years because it got me to where I am now. I wouldn't know what I know had I not gone through that. And if it hadn't been alcohol, it would have been something else. We all have this environment of toxic stress and polarizing nasty media and you win a prize if you don't sleep and don't take care of yourself and you do better and better if you, the less you need and the smaller you are and the less dramatic you are, like we win prizes for not being people. That environment is what creates the addiction. Addiction is an adaptation to a toxic environment. It is not the person, which is why the way I teach it, it's not to focus on the alcohol. I mean, that's a thing. We know that. But you have to fix the environment that created the need for the alcohol or else you're just going to end up with a different addiction, whether it be to food or workaholism or just because that stress is what we need relief from. It's not the desire for alcohol. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. I think also
1: we said it perfectly about the environment and the environment that came to my mind was my own mind. What's the environment that goes on in your own brain that has been so ingrained in you? Like you mentioned perfectionism. Like when I speak with women about undoing what alcohol has done to them, it's exactly what you said. Yes, you have to develop habits and rituals such that you don't pick up a drink in my opinion that needs to go on for at least a year if not two to really understand who you are without this artificial without this chemical running through your body and without your mind still being wired the way it was when it reached for a drink as the answer to everything but so much about that environment in my own mind was not about alcohol. It was about, you can't handle this. You can't feel this. You're not smart enough, strong enough, capable enough, whatever it is. You haven't achieved enough. And having no answer for that was my own no answer to what I was told a woman was allowed to do or capable of doing. What was the right thing? What was the proper thing? What was the acceptable thing? What will make other people happy? All of those were the conversations in my head that I was trying to make sure I answered in the right way. But with sobriety finally came a peace, a peace inside my own mind and my own being that said, yes, this is what your mind is telling you. And this is the narrative that's been going on, but you don't have to accept it. You don't have to answer to it. You can take a step back. You can drink your tea and go to bed. (laughs) And I think the changing of the narrative in my own head to a much more compassionate, accepting, patient place is the reason that when i interact with you when i interact with my family when i interact with my friends whomever it is there's a peace there there's a peace that you know being afraid of going to a party and not being able to drink because there'll be other people there it's not a problem for me i thought that would be I don't know what I thought it would be. I guess I thought it would be the end of the world if I walked into a party and couldn't have a drink to deal with these narratives in our mind. I'm a socially anxious person. I need this. If I have this wine in my hand, I know who I am. I'm good. Mm -hmm. I could walk in anywhere. I could walk in anywhere now because it's never, the safe place is never anywhere outside of me. It's never in the finding the kindest person to speak to or the least chaotic environment out there. If you know who you are and when you get sober, I love what you said so much that sobriety is a tool. And I'll say it this way. Sobriety is a tool to get myself to this peaceful place, this centered place where I know I've got me. Nothing ba- I'm not going to let anything bad happen to me. Not what anybody says, not other people's comments, like all of this concern that what we mentioned people pleasing, what is that about? It's about make sure nobody has a problem with you. Yeah. Yeah. Why would they ever have a problem with you if you don't ever say anything? If you don't ever be who you are, then you can't piss anyone off. But inside you're a mess.
0: Yeah. I think what I've learned, and honestly, I tear up thinking about how much, how good it feels to know I'm never going to abandon myself. And that's a skill. We all have this inside. If somebody's listening to this and it's, I want what you have. It's a skill you can learn when you understand how to manage your thoughts and you understand that the call is coming from inside the house in terms of judgment. I could show up at a whites party at a country club covered in mud. I didn't get the memo. I feel out of my league. I got rained on the way. I've got ketchup on my shirt. I could show up there and hold my own. Because I would not be beating myself up in that moment. That is like the, that's all we, that's what we're all looking for. And it's not that alcohol is so good or so bad. It prevents you from feeling and dealing with the feeling and so now you've got a coping skill which allows you to bypass that internal narrative because you we're trained to think that the way we feel is coming from external situations. The look on her face, the comment that asshole just made, we think that's what's making us feel anxious at parties. When the truth is it's our own judgment of ourself that was programmed in as child as we were children. And so we're the ones afraid who... One of my favorite lines is, ain't your business what anybody else thinks. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I teach is, your thoughts about other people's thoughts are still your thoughts. So learning how to manage your thoughts means you never lose your power. If people are assholes, get the hell out of there and go take yourself out to dinner somewhere else. You know what I mean? Yes. So- That to me, uh, sobriety is just a gateway drug that allows you to stay present long enough to make that relationship with yourself so that you're no longer abandoning yourself and you're not afraid to feel because you know your feelings are coming from the shitty thoughts that you were programmed in with the shame and all that as children.
1: Yes. I love everything about what you just said and how you said it, because I think what it speaks to is we give alcohol all this metaphorical power, right? Like it goes from, I was addicted to drinking alcohol because it was like this God, this savior was going to fix everything. And then it's okay. Now I'm sober. I'm in recovery. I got to heal from this thing, right? This sort of narrative that you hear, which is the way I hear it is don't get too cocky. Don't get too confident. Yeah, you kicked this thing and you overcame addiction and trauma and all the things, but don't think you're so big or you're so strong that you can uh, ultimately overcome this thing that will always have so much power over you. And I reject that because I know myself, I know what I've overcome in my past. Addiction is just another thing. And there's going to be things, there's going to be more, life will do what it does and you'll have loss and you'll have grief and challenges and obstacles, but so far, I'm still here. I've overcome all of those things, not because anything outside of me had the power to do these sort of magical, mystical, boogeyman kind of stuff. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it, especially now. Knowing what I know and this being my work in the world and my, I will admit, probably an obsession. Maybe it comes from the perfectionism. I just want to read everything. I love the two books that you recommended to me. I have them in front of me, The Biology of Desire and The Freedom Model for Addictions. I... I Hadn't heard anybody mention any of those things or talk in the way that says this is not a permanent thing. I'm trying to remember your exact words that you wrote to me because they were so they were like eye opening in such a beautiful way. I think you just said something like you're not you're you're more a- resilient now. Yeah, more that's resilient the sign. You were at the beginning where anyone who didn't have to overcome this addiction piece is. And that resonated with me, because that I could believe, that is born out in, as you said earlier, this addiction is a learned. I kind of talk about it as an overlearning.
0: Yeah. Hyper, super learning. Yeah, Yeah. you
1: just dig in. Like this is the answer, the alcohol, the alcohol. And you just dig these trenches. For me, I dug them for 22 years. So yes, it takes some effort. It takes some Herculean effort to uproot those patterns of thinking, those deep grooves in your mind that you do right physically are formed. This is the answer. This is the answer. And you fixate on this one thing. But you can use that same science of learning to get free of it too because you start forming these new brain patterns and you start carving new ways of coping with things that before you thought you couldn't handle and i so i think that was very powerful for me that was the biology of desire for me the other book the freedom model for addiction goes even further right to to this idea that what if neither addiction nor recovery are actually, and I don't want to say this wrong because I know this is probably going to. Mm. Please um, say. say but I think what they're mm. basically saying is neither are ultimately real or
0: true. Right. They're both stories. stories. They're stories. There's stories, and you don't have to live in that story. It can be a fun story. I've said cheek, tongue-in-cheek, if you're going to join a cult, AA is a fun, great cult. <laughs> that there's a lot of great people, mm-hmm. whatever. But thinking this is about the alcohol, it's really about handing over your power. And the idea that alcohol could actually take your power or that you can be in relationship with an inert substance, this is happening in your mind. It truly is. And I equate it, and I tread lightly here, my daughter just broke up with her boyfriend and it was an abusive relationship, as we would categorize it, air quotes around that. And I make room for that and that healing, but I also am working with her to identify when and where she gave her power away, when and where she allowed him to always drive her car, when and where she allowed him, because it was always her car. And that's where the freedom model, I really like it because it talks about you didn't lose control of your drinking. You lost control of your thinking. Alcohol has no power over you. Even in the throes of addiction, you're capable of not drinking for certain periods of time if you're properly motivated or you're sitting in a jail cell. I mean, it can, you can go without it. So it's the story we're telling about, telling about it and this idea that alcohol is any power It's an inert substance. All of this is happening in the mind. And so watching my daughter come out of this relationship, which could just be another addiction, a love addiction or whatever, and then step back and realize, yes, he mistreated her, but she allowed it. And it's the same thing with alcohol. We have to change the narrative in our mind. And that's why I think it's a dangerous narrative to give alcohol all the power. Because it robs you of the opportunity to take full responsibility for everything. Because that's where your power is. Then you're no longer helpless, victim, DNA, or family of alcoholics. No, no. You can be whoever you want to be at all times. And it, the power comes from changing the way you think about things.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think that there is this piece that, especially for women, that's such a narrative in any case. What is your power? What power do you have in any relationship? Love relationship, job relationship, family relationship, who can say what, who can feel what what a mother's supposed to be, what a daughter's supposed to be, all of these things that you're trying to, you're trying to learn where does your power come from, but when is it allowed to come just from inside of you? When can you say your truth and have it be respected Yeah, and not shape yourself around whether or not other people feel comfortable around you? Right. That's something that, addict or whatever the label is women struggle with this men struggle with this humanity struggles with these things and I think when we talk about what is recovery if we use that word what is it that you're really recovering from and what are you recovering recovering my ability to define myself however I choose to do so not based on external labels not based on how other people feel about me But what are my values? What am I here to do? What are my passions? What brings me joy? There's, I don't think there's enough. I think probably because we're told this story about you're in recovery now and alcohol is coming to get you. So there's this other piece that it touches on, which is am I allowed to be in all this fucking joy right now? Because I'm really fucking happy. Like this is the happiest I've been in my entire life ever. And yeah. what a tragedy I think it would be if we continue this idea that I can somehow not step into that fully, that I can be joyful, but only to a certain point, because look out, that's what I was in recovery from was this sense of, I can't trust myself. If I feel good, am I allowed? Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think it gives us enough credit as women, as people who recovered from an addiction. I think it doesn't give us enough credit to say that you have to live the rest of your life. And I know there's ways that people say this, right? You don't have to be afraid of it, but you have to have a healthy fear of it. You have to be humble about it. And I understand what they're saying. I understand that you have to be humble and have a healthy fear of anything, oh, skydiving, whatever the case, but I'm not going to live my life worried about it. I'm not going to manage everything that I do around avoiding triggers or never try never to be stressed out or put myself in challenging situations because I can't emotionally handle it. What if I feel stress and then I go drink? I'm not comfortable with living the rest of my life that way.
0: Yeah. You said something that the fear is healthy, but quite honestly, I think I would push back on that because it's the fear. What do we fear? We fear how we will feel if we realize we screwed up Mm. and we're going to screw up. Mm. We're human. And so... thinking that we need to be afraid of ourselves, which is why this is so counterintuitive, but working with women as they quit drinking, I have a group program. So I see a lot of women learning how to love yourself with a hangover is the best way to not keep getting the hangovers. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. this idea that you can only love yourself when you're perfectly sober and when you've checked all the boxes and nine out of 10 people agree with what you just said. You know, it's no, you have to love yourself at your worst moment. That's resilience. That. The fear of not making a mistake because you're not going to abandon yourself in that mistake. You can sit in your own shit and smell it and not rub your own nose in it and be kind and loving. That's where it is. And I work with women. I don't know how your clients are, but some of them go cold turkey, rip the bandaid off, all in. And they get, they, those do great. But I also see women who struggle in the beginning And I'm like, just stay with it and practice love the next morning. I think those women do, they don't, because they're learning the skill we're here to learn, which is not to never drink alcohol again so that you don't ever have to fear nothing. Of course you're going to fear because you're going to fuck up. That's what we do. Learning how to self-correct in those moments is actually, I think, what accelerates growth because the goal here is to not abandon yourself anymore and to not fear feelings It's not alcohol you need to be afraid of. And when you're, they're teaching us fear, they're teaching us how to feel bad if we screw up. And then that inflames and keeps you stuck. What if you weren't afraid? I have drinks occasionally, not very often. I'm not afraid to have a fuck up because I know I've done it. I know how to get out of it. And you know what? Consequently, I don't really fuck up. I don't have any desire to check out if that makes sense. And so it's, I think it's the self-abandonment and fear is self-abandonment. Fear is telling your brain, telling you a scary story. And it would be like your child waking up in the middle of the night. Oh, nightmare. There's a monster in the room. And you're like, fuck. And you run out of the house. Is that how we respond to the child? No, we turn on the light. We look under the bed. We show them like there's no monster. You're okay. It was a bad dream. Breathe, baby. It's okay. It's over now. That's how we respond. should respond to ourselves every time we fuck up. Ugh. Don't run out of the house and abandon yourself. I
1: love that. I, I don't know that I will ever forget that. <laughs> That's fantastic because it's exactly right. It's exactly it. It's exactly it. This fear is the fear that we are going to somehow in a blink of an eye regress and abandon ourselves. And it's like you're one drink away from landing yourself right back where you were. And I just, it just doesn't, the math doesn't add up in my mind. And I don't say that lightly because I respect for everyone. As you said, some people go cold turkey. Some people really struggle to stick with it. And I, just like you, I take the same approach. This is a gift. You had these drinks. You feel like shit. Now Mm -hmm. you get to love yourself. Yeah. When have you ever done that, right? The cycle is you wish you wouldn't have the drinks. You have too many drinks. You hate yourself. But now we're breaking. That's the cycle we're breaking. You're breaking the cycle of
0: degrading yourself after having done something that it happens. Yeah. yeah. It's a drinking, thinking, drinking, thinking cycle. We're trying to interrupt it at the drinking level. You go into the thinking and change the way you respond to the drinking mm-hmm. and it will self-correct. Mm-hmm. I see it over yes. and over. It self corrects Yes.
1: And how hard that actually is. We say mm-hmm. quitting drinking is just so hard. What's even harder for most of us is loving ourselves. Reaching for the compassion when every other time you reach for Mm self-loathing and and Mm -hmm. beating yourself up in your brain about how bad you are, what a fuck up you are, how could you do this again, uh, all of that self-abuse that goes on. Very sadly, I think that's, that's the heartbreaking thing about this is that that is what's hard to break out of. People white knuckle and don't pick up alcohol, but you don't have any idea what's going on in their mind, what they're telling themselves. So it's a journey. It is. I hate that phrase because it's so generic, but it, it's a journey. It's an adventure. It's something that I think I have always been a person who loves a startup and loves to go where nobody else will go and say the thing nobody is willing to say or explore the places that people are afraid to look. And this, for right now, for whatever reason, I'm digging in. I'm really fascinated by it. And I think it's a really exciting time to see the broader narratives include, now start to include not just addiction and recovery, not just drinker, non drinker, sober, whatever. The, the, yes. Just the idea that everything is a spectrum.
0: Yeah. Everything. And it's a story. Like now, my, my identity is one thing. I'm a person having a human experience. Yes. and giving yourself permission to change your story. and change, I mean, I've been the mother. I'm a wife. Now I'm a business owner. I've been the drinker. I've been the sober alcoholic. I'm trying all these things on. That's what we're here to do, that we're joyful living. It's like Goldilocks going through all the beds or whatever. And thinking you need one story is like picking one pair of shoes. You're going to wear those every day the rest of your life. Like The joy of creation is creating these stories and creating life and experience in things and better or worse? Do I want more or less of that? Mm -hmm. And this, this idea that I know, I think we talked about it before we started recording that we get hung up on in early sobriety is you have to figure it all out. Yes. And you have to, this is who I was. This is who I am now. And I got to get it all on paper. The best thing is, oh, you're a human having a messy experience. Welcome to earth school. It's a shit show. Sorry. And snacks are off to the right. Lunch break. Good luck. Like, but the more you can get comfortable with the not knowing, that's what gives you permission to create, create new life and stories and then share those stories. And you and I are both kind of what we perceive anyway, to be a little on the cutting edge of, wait a minute, sobriety is a story too. And Look what's over here. And we'll go explore over that. And maybe someday we'll see each other in an AA meeting and go, well, that didn't work. But it's the beautiful creation of trying and finding yourself. I like the Buddhist quote that we are, I don't know what the quote is, but something about we are God experiencing himself and, and just getting to go through the, down, the highs and the lows and the pain and the recovery. I mean, this is what life is about. It's not collecting all the money and buying shiny shit. It's learning who we are. Yes. Yes. I
1: love that. I so agree. And I think that is truly the power comes from the joy and not the fear. The power comes mm-hmm. from what do I love? What am I passionate about? Why the fuck would I pick up a drink? It just gets in the way. You know, I have other right. stuff that I really want to do with this beautiful life that I have. And yeah. so it's a wonderful place to be. So I'm loving it. I'm loving exploring this the space that, will lie beyond whatever the current narrative is that says recovery is forever. And it's, it's supposed to be one certain thing. I think we're all, I think a lot of women are, are kicking drinking and they're wondering what, is, what does come after. There's so many stories about sobriety and getting sober and how do you get sober, sober October, this kind of thing. A lot of us are moving actually to the next piece. Mm -hmm. which is I believe that I've really kicked this thing and I've overcome some serious trauma. I've done the work.
0: Now what? Yeah. It's beautiful. I highly encourage anybody to take sobriety for a test drive, let your brain heal, let your brain dry out and start asking yourself what else could be true. What else is there like a life? The reason I think we come to such a place where we're broken and ready to quit is life has no meaning when it's all about last night's drinking and tonight's draining. Like our soul knows that's not really a purpose that matters. And so giving yourself permission to kick the habit. And I will say, I don't know about your experience. Maybe I'll ask you this question. I was shocked at how easy it was to drink to stop drinking. Once I made the decision and started reading the books, like you said, podcasts, bibliotherapy, going to some meetings, I could have done half of what I did. I like you, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I want to read and the science and I'm going to read all the books because I'm a perfectionist. But I was shocked how easy it was. And I always thought I can't even get through day one because every single day I tried I, and something shifted. But what was your experience like when you finally decided or what did it look like? Maybe it was a in and out.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's such a great question. Thank you for that. And also I am just now putting the final edits on a memoir that I had been writing. So it was basically day by day journaling my early sobriety experience. I'm so glad I did that. If for no other reason, then I would not have remembered Ninety-five mm-hmm. percent of what it was really like in my mind to go through the putting down of drinking, the getting so getting sober. How long does that take? I don't know, but I did. I was one of those people who put the who decided January first, twenty twenty-two. I'm not drinking this month. I had Annie Grace's thirty day alcohol experiment in my back pocket. I did it every single day. And I want to say it was two weeks in that I was, that I knew in my bones, I had wanted sobriety for so long, but I didn't ever think it could be me ever. And I think it became such a beautiful experience. (laughs) Pink cloud for sure. I had pink cloud.
0: Me too. <laughs> Best cloud ever. I love. I tell my newbies, I'm like, enjoy, enjoy. I'm not going to tell you you're going to crash and burn. Just enjoy the pink cloud.
1: Yes, and it's a, what a beautiful time and what a a gift to come home to yourself. And for me, it was, oh, I'm a soft place to be. Yes, I'm a peaceful place to be. This is who I am. Like I think so much resistance was. I am nobody without this alcohol, without my wine. I don't exist. Like in some ways, your brain convinces you. You don't even exist. And then you realize, yes, you do. And you're not so bad. You're not so bad. What were we so afraid of? And then you start unraveling all the lies that you've been told and believed about alcohol that you just couldn't see. If you're still drinking, you can't see it. And you don't want to hear about it. I didn't want to hear about anybody being sober.
0: Buzzkill. Yeah. <laughs> take every party as a pooper. Yeah. Take your poop and go home. Nobody cares. Yes. <laughs>
1: Trust no one who doesn't drink. All that shit. So I did. So 30 days became 90 days, but I was committed. I was committed right from the beginning. I knew that I can remember vividly in somewhere around the end of January because it was my son's birthday party and I reached in the refrigerator to get my seltzer or whatever having told my family that I was doing dry January because I didn't know how to organize my thoughts about any of it and I just remember thinking how can I ever drink again how can I drink again when I can't promise myself that I won't get into a stupid argument with my husband that I won't ruin another vacation that I won't black out. I couldn't promise those things. Not that I couldn't promise my husband. I couldn't promise myself. And for whatever reason, I decided that wasn't good enough for me. I had to be able to trust myself or else what am I doing? Not just about alcohol with my life. Mm Mm-hmm. I need to be able to trust myself. And as long as I'm reaching for this drink, it's because I don't. It's because I don't trust myself. So I was committed. And I think it's my belief that my commitment has lasted so long because it was tied to something much bigger. It wasn't mm-hmm. tied to just don't drink again because drinking's bad. It was yeah. tied to what kind of person do you want to be? What legacy do you want to leave? What's important to you, the way you live your life? And integrity was my word for 2022.
0: Yeah, Integrity. What,
1: say what is true for you. Do yeah. what is true for you. Be who you say you are. And not be in so many ways. It's not that I was this complete fuck up before. And then I got sober, and then I was, as you said, redeemed and and perfect. There was a lot of beautiful things that I was capable of doing before I got sober, but the depths depths of self-trust, self-love, self-compassion were never what they are now. They couldn't be, because I wouldn't let myself get there. I mean, drinking was an escape of being with myself. And then getting sober, as you said, I put up all the parameters, no wine in the house, this kind of thing, but realizing that I was now going to have to sit with all the real feelings and trust myself to be okay with that and to get through that. I don't think I ever so clearly realized that feelings come and go, emotions (laughs) come and go. Like yeah. this idea. Like I think there was probably so I would come home from a day at the office and it was so stressful and I had to have this wine. You stumped yourself right there. Yeah, that's the only story yeah. you get then every night. Yes, your job is too stressful. Have the wine pass out. There's never a challenge to that story, but in sobriety now you're challenging it. Is that the job or an
0: action? What's that? Or the action. Alcohol is not going to fix the stress at your job. And if you hear yourself saying over and over, I'm overwhelmed, I can't do all this, then why don't you stop and listen to yourself? We just ignore ourselves and then pour alcohol on it and then keep going and then wonder why we got a little bit of a drinking problem. Yeah, where'd that come from? I don't know, but my job's really stressful. That's why. Well, no, it's because you're not doing anything about your job. The surface story, it's never about my analogy is all those stories that we think we're pissed off or we're frustrated. That's on the surface of the ocean. I'm a scuba diver. And if you go down 10 feet, you can see everything. And it's so clear and also peaceful and you can hear your own breath. Mm -hmm. And to me, getting caught in the weeds of the story of the job of Karen and what she said at work and how it's always, no, the problem is beneath that at the level of your beliefs and your identity that I can't change this. I am powerless. That's the belief. That's the problem. Not that Karen's is or is not a bitch because that doesn't really matter or that you have too much to do, or you don't have too much to do. The problem is you're not, you're robbing yourself, of, but you're telling yourself a stupid story that you can't change anything when actually at any time you can walk out the door and keep going and never come back. And you're not acknowledging that because you're afraid you'll actually do it. But once you're not afraid to feel that, and then you resolve the emotional inflammation, then you can say, I'm not going to walk out the door and never come back. But I am going to make these other changes. Yes. It's really powerful to not drink through your feelings, which is why even now as an occasional alcohol user, I would never pour alcohol on an unresolved feeling because it'll just be back tomorrow to bite me in the ass. Yes. Let's do this.
1: Yes. It's self-defeating. It's self-defeating. And I think part of what I was telling myself was you know, essentially suck it up and be grateful. What do you have to complain about, right? You've got a great job. You've got a great house, great husband, great marriage, great ch- You have so much. How dare you say it's not enough? How dare you say it's too overwhelming? What do you have to be so overwhelmed about? These are the stories that went on in my mind for so long because i think also they're just reinforced by well-meaning people around you a woman says she wants to do something that sounds pretty radical quit something walk away from something that looks to other people so great so wonderful so perfect that i you spend more time trying to convince yourself that those people are right and that you're ungrateful instead of what i do now which is say and did say actually this isn't working for me actually pretending it does is making me sick and i'm not doing it yeah. i don't care what the fuck you say or what you think yeah even You know, and I think one of the hardest things is not telling these things to strangers, right? It's realizing you have to tell these things to the people that you love and the people who love you and want the best for you, but have a little bit of a shaky time trusting you to know what's best for you. So Mm -hmm. the boundaries are a big thing. And I think that comes with the first many months really are just do what it takes to not pick up the drink. For me, that's what it was. But then life keeps happening. Life is still going on. And you have to learn to, not that you have to avoid challenges or stress or be afraid that it's going to trigger you to have hard conversations, but that you have to go out and face what you didn't face because you were drinking instead.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. So, the pink bubble is nature's nod to your first new efforts, like good for you. But all these bags you've been carrying around, they got to be unpacked. And that's that all, to me though, there's nothing like anybody listening. I say that and it's funny. It's the best thing ever. Like you just unwind and oh my god, so I was making this mean that and it doesn't mean anything and what do I It's just beautiful. Yes. It's beautiful yeah. to realize you don't have to carry the emotional bags, the weight of all the fucking stories you've been telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. You feel light. Yeah. You realize that you are a very
1: fascinating place to be. There's so yeah. much more to you yeah. than you ever were allowed to explore.
0: And for whatever reason, yeah. So I want to f- follow up with one thing here on that. Sure. And that is, and then I want to, we got to land the plane, but
1: yeah, I
0: want to say that what, like you, you mentioned that you had to say, I'm, I've been pretending and this actually isn't working for me. Mm. And I think that's what we fear because if we give that voice p- the, the space to speak, That somehow that's our truth. And the idea that we have only one truth is where we get into the weeds. So, like for me in my marriage, I had to acknowledge I didn't want to be here and I wanted to go. In order to find a way to stay, I had to allow that truth to exist so that I could unpack it. And then I could decide what I want to do. And I so I just want to encourage anybody that's listening, you don't have just one truth. So the truth you're afraid to admit that's just causing shitty problems in your subconscious. Mm -hmm. Like you can think anything you want and it doesn't mean anything. You can think, I'm sorry I'm a mother and I don't want to be here and I want to change my name and get on a plane. If you don't acknowledge that, it's going to, but it doesn't mean that it's true. It's only true if you act on it. But by giving that thought space and room to breathe, Mm -hmm. it's a wound somewhere. That's what allows it to heal. And maybe you should get on a plane and change your name and go somewhere else. But chances are you probably won't. But if you don't work with the truth and allow that truth to exist with, I could never leave and I love these people and I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Like, the truth is all of the truths. There is no one truth. It's all the truths. And that's what we get in with this idea. We need one story and one truth and we got to figure it all out. That's why we're carrying around so many bags. Like what if you just allow the truth to be in this moment? I fucking hate you. Okay, I'm going to go to my room, write in my journal about you. I'm going to say all the stuff about you. And then you get it out, you process, and then you come down and you're like, my takeaway is that I'm going to need you to stop saying this at this time and and then we're good. And then you can solve the problem. Yes. That's a huge piece of it. I think that's exactly right. And it's giving yourself the space to
1: realize that all of the things that are going on inside of you are allowed.
0: They're just allowed. They're allowed.
1: It's yes. They're just allowed yes. and you don't have to be always like you said, you're not going to love everybody 100% of the time. You're not you're going through stuff, they're going through stuff. Everybody's got their own thing going on. And the biggest gift is that you don't have to react to that. I mean, when I was drinking, it was like boom. You said one wrong thing and there I go. And I'm, I'm so convinced that I'm right. And we're not going to stop fighting until you admit it The, I will say things now. And they're so little, but they blow my mind. And it's just, I'm really angry with this situation right now. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to take five minutes. As you said, I'm in a journal. I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to own that. Just because I'm feeling some kind of way doesn't mean I get to blame my husband, as you said, blame the job, blame somebody else.
0: Yeah. The truth isn't he's an asshole. The truth isn't that you're angry. The truth is there's something under there that needs to be acknowledged and addressed. It's, and you got to get through all, you got to get the skills of getting off the surface and getting down to the big belief that you're applying to the situation. And then now you've just got a simple boundary or a correction, a self-correction, or somebody else needs to be corrected. Yeah. And it's just, it's, oh my God, what freedom it's to just, not live in that emotional dysregulation anymore. That's
1: the perfect word, emotional dysregulation. And the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. It's just what we said at the beginning. The, the, yeah. It's a learning process. Yeah. And the, it's elite, a perform- you, the you, if you don't numb out of it, jump out of it, run away, resort to fighting at the drop of a hat, you're learning how to emotionally regulate what's going on inside. And yeah. that is the freedom. It isn't some big revelation and one day you're cured and everything is perfect. It's every single day.
0: It's a skill. Your emotions are indicator lights on the dashboard of your car saying, Hey, we've got a thought down here. (laughs) Hey, those thoughts aren't true. You can pull them up and you can say, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. Or what else could be true? So emotions are our friends. And when you can shift into that reality that when you're having an emotional negative, this is painful, uncomfortable, that's your invitation to clean house in your subconscious. The idea of just sitting and feeling your feelings, well, that does suck. You have to have the tools to process the feeling so that it stops coming back and you can take action so that you're responding. And most of the time, 90% of the time, the action's on my part. I have to correct my thinking. I have to acknowledge a limiting belief. I have to do the hard thing. Most of the time it is not, I'm going to go 99% actually. 99% of the time what I uncover is on my to-do list, not somebody else's. And that's just beautiful. You can stop hating everybody.
1: Yes. And that was a big part of the freedom too, is like whatever that saying is, it's the blessing and the curse, right? This is on Mm -hmm. you. It's the bad news and it's the best news.
0: Good news, bad yeah. news. Sorry, <laughs> this is all is. your problem, <laughs> and you are the solution. Perfect. So, good news, bad right, news. Exactly. Well, Allison, can you share how our listeners can find you? I'm going to say that your Substack is the best, and I subscribe to you. And so that is where I did. We connected on Instagram, but then I subscribed, and your writing is just. It takes me back. It moves me forward. It's very inspiring. So tell our listeners how to find you. Thank you so much for that. My Substack
1: is called Dry Humor Me. I believe the address to get there directly is alisonmarieconway.substack.com. And I am on Instagram at alisonmarieconway. And those are the two best ways to find me right now.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. this was a great conversation. Thank you
1: so much, Colleen, and thank you for all the work that
0: you do in this world. It's beautiful you as well. We're light, we're light in the path. So, thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. I'll put a link to Allison's Substack and Instagram in the show notes. And I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and are starting to think about the power of story and the narrative that you're living in, because it really is all a story. Like the past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. There really is just now only ever this present moment. That is where your power is. I'm incorporating storytelling into the next chapter, into the program, because it is so powerful. Once you see the story you're living in, you know, we do a lot of work with managing your thoughts and managing your emotions, but the big picture is managing your story And we just last week had our first of three workshops on recovery storytelling. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. The first week really was the foundation of storytelling and the big picture of how it works and how to apply it and how stories affect memories and evolve over time. And so if you are interested in joining me for that storytelling workshop, I will put a link in the show notes to that. Yes, you missed the first week, but the first week was. Is really, me laying the foundation and the replay will be available. So, if you sign up and you want to join us for the next two, the uh, times are November. 5th, that's a Sunday, at 1 p.m. Eastern, and then the third and final workshop for now is November 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern, that's also a Sunday. So it's not too late to join me and work with our group. I open up my live workshops to not just the Next Chapter members, but my community at large, because it boosts our numbers and it also gives you a chance to see if you are interested in working with me. And I've gotten excellent feedback on this storytelling workshop and theme and we're having a lot of fun with it. So get in the show notes if you want to join us. And then thank you for listening to another episode of what is currently Recover with Colleen, but on November 13th will be It's Not About the Alcohol. Get in the show notes and join my pod squad. If you want to look at the free gifts as well as the prizes I'm giving away and what you will need to do, what you'll need to submit in order to be eligible for those prizes. Go back and listen to don't miss the free prizes and gifts for my pod squad. The free gift everybody gets is immediate access to my Foundations of Emotional Sobriety course, which is not even available for public yet. I've worked months putting it together and then doing this podcast launch, I've kind of put it on the back burner. It's going to be for sale on my website for $99 but probably not until January, well, if you join my pod squad, which simply means you're going to let me text you on November 13th, like it's not going to hurt. And you have to, you know, download my episode on that day. Even if you don't listen to it, listen for three minutes so I get the download. But that's all you have to do to get free access immediately to my Foundations of Emotional Sobriety course. And that course is an overview of how to manage your mind, how to use thought models, what it means to regulate your nervous system, and specific self-coaching tools that will help move you into a bigger picture perspective where you stop, drop, and regulate and stop, drop, and manage your mind before you bring your emotional baggage and try to solve problems with all of that. So I teach you how to unpack it and how to organize it and how to let that shit go. So emotional sobriety is the foundation of how I live my life. And I'm giving you that as a free gift just for letting me send you a text on November 13th to uh, help me get into the charts so that we can expand this community and share this message with the world because people need to hear it. And if you want to stay connected with me during the week, follow me at Recover with Colleen on Instagram. That's my Facebook page. I also have a private group called Recover with Colleen. It's Recover with Colleen all over the place. So look for me on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're not already, make sure that you are on my email list, which is insider exclusive to things like my storytelling workshop and access to other free courses and tools that I offer. I only send one email a week and that is usually on Monday with the podcast and it's kind of a story or an intro to what the podcast is gonna be about. So you stay in the loop with me and that also gives you direct access to me. You can respond to any email that I write with feedback or questions or advice. I mean, I'll take some advice, right? Trying to grow all this. If you know something or you see something I don't, or you see something about my messaging that needs to be tweaked, uh, yeah, it takes a village here to, uh, to create a movement. And so join my movement, get on my insider list, join my pod squad, you know all of it. So I'll see you next week.